In a world of uncertainty, one thing's for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Sports Fix Thursday. Tommy's home. Uh, I'm here. Aaron's wherever he is, although he did text me before the show today. Uh, He has downloaded the new DC Lottery sports gambling app, I guess, something I'll probably not do. Um, I'm glad they're making it available that way. Uh, But... Uh, He said already uh, something we talked about the other day seems to be uh, part of it. They are, they're juicing you big time. The juice is expensive. He said it's minus 118. Now, even you know this, Tommy, typically when you wager on a game, you don't want to pay more than 10% on a loss. If you bet a hundred bucks, you want to pay 110 on a loss. You make a hundred on a win. It's gotten so competitive in recent years that you can find places that'll offer discounted vigs, discounted vigorishes, um, where you can pay minus 107 or minus 108, and it all adds up. They're charging minus 118. So on wow. a, a hundred dollar bet, if you lose. You're paying 118 bucks Now, I don't know if Aaron's saying that's on all games, but this was my guess the other day that this online, this, this legalization of sports betting, you know, state by state, and in this particular instance, D.C., is for people primarily, not all, but it's, uh, it's making gambling available to people who haven't figured out how to do it beforehand over all of these years when it's been illegal. And I'm telling you, if you didn't figure it out, you didn't have a desire to figure it out. And therefore, you're probably new to this thing. And they are going to take advantage of some of these people. Now, there are more costs you know, in legalization of sports betting. Um, and so they're going to pass those costs on to the user. But uh, I think there will be a lot of people that won't even know that it's expensive to do it this way. I think you're right. I think they're going to make some money on on that. Uh, look, you, you got, you've got a whole generation of kids, millennials and, and younger, who – who are going to want to do their Al Capone imitation, their walk on the wild side, <laughs> yeah. you know? They, they, they like to smoke their cigars, and, and they like to gamble, you know? But it's basically just flirting, flirting with this lifestyle that they grew up watching on TV, and they think it's kind of cool. So they'll get a lot of bites, probably, from a lot of millennials in bars with their friends saying, Oh, let's quick put put a bet on this game we're watching here, you know, with with the with the app. Uh, 
they'll make some money, but, you know, eventually, I mean, you know, the, the sports, legalized sports betting, I don't think is going to bring for each jurisdiction the amount of revenue that they expect. Because you and I think both agree on this. People who wanted to bet have already been betting. A hundred percent right. In fact, I think a lot of the results will all, all will prove you correct, um, except in certain states, you know, New Jersey, New York, where, you know, everybody gambles and everybody's gambling in every which way. And I think but I think projected revenue from legalization of sports betting in most places already hasn't reached the numbers they projected and won't reach the numbers they project. And it's for a few reasons. Um, One is the reason we've been talking about. Two is that these will be smaller bettors. They're going to be the guys that are betting 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks a game. Um, And the big bettors, you know, they don't want this. First of all, it's too costly. And I just pulled up the website. I found the website. It's GameBetDC.com. Uh, DCLottery.com. And I'm looking right now, they have, they have, uh, you know, odds on MMA, soccer, and darts because those are the only games that are going on. <laughs> Who knew that you could bet on darts? I didn't even know the sport existed outside of some rec room or basement in the house. We've got a dartboard downstairs next to our ping pong table. Um, But, you know, most of the bigger bettors are going to be looking for much better fees, you know, vigs on losses. And most importantly, they're going to want to bet on credit. And until, and this is something, you know, I've talked about with you over the last couple of years since this all became a reality, until these places can offer credit, legitimate credit, so you can essentially, let me try to make this uh, easily digestible for most of you. When people like me bet, and I'm not even going to talk about the amounts, we have what's called a settle number. All right, with our guy. Like, we're not going to meet up and me pay you or you pay me until the number gets to this number either way. Call it $1,000, all right? Until you're down 1000 or up $1,000, you are just letting it ride. And by the way, he's offered essentially credit for up to $1,000. So... I can bet without giving him the money up front until I lose a thousand and then I gotta pay. He's taking some risk, but he knows his clientele. You know, he knows and he's got a client, you know, the, the the people that I've dealt with over the years all know most of the people who are wagering through them, and they've and, and if they don't know them, they've come with recommendations, you know, it's just like basically yeah. going to a bank and getting a loan and you got to give them some information about yourself and you got to qualify for it. It is an unsecured line of credit, um, for the bookmaker. Um, but it's just a lot easier because, you know, you're sitting there and it's a Saturday night, you know, college football and you're down a bunch of money and, you know, you, you want to be able to bet on credit. You want to be able to fire in for, you know, a, a, you know, a bigger bet maybe on a game that you feel strongly about. That's not what these legal books are offering. Not yet anyway. Um, the first one that does is going to do much better. But I'm looking at Aaron's right. Like on the soccer games, I see a lot of – well, I see a lot of money line stuff. Um, 
But he said basically the average VIG is minus 118. That's expensive, man. That is way too expensive. Now, on the other hand, uh, even if sports uh, legalized sports betting is not the pot of gold everyone thought it would be, it's still good to have legalized sports betting. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we should, it was ridiculous not to have it all along. Yeah, it, I think it makes sense. I think the UK's proven that. I think the biggest thing, Tommy, yeah. just from you know the school of hard knocks, is I just know so many people, and you taught you referred to the younger generation, um, and I'm not going to say they all think they've got it all figured out. I mean, Jesus Christ, listening to Ted Leonsis over the last couple of years and his son Zach <laughs> talk about this has just been incredible Incre- to me. Incre- Ace Rothstein, that's <laughs> yeah. my nickname for Ted. Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible to listen to either the disingenuousness or just the, the naivete. It's it's one or the other, you know, about how, you know, this is going to open it up to all the smart guys. Uh, you, you really? Let me just tell you something, <laughs> Big Ted. If they, were, if they were so smart and they weren't doing this already, then they're pretty dumb because it was available <laughs> for them to do in a much lower-cost environment, too. But, uh... <laughs> But anyway, I um I just think that I know this. I've seen a lot of carnage over the years. You know, I I've got I've got I've got so many I don't even know if I've ever shared half of the gambling stories from over the years with you. I know I've <laughs> shared some of them. You know, I'll, I'll tell you one right now if I haven't told you the story of a really good friend of mine at Maryland. Have I told you the story about a guy that basically lost a bunch of money, and I lost touch with him and then heard from him like 20 years later, 15 years later, something like that? No. All right, I'm not going to mention his name because he and I have reconnected in recent years. I don't think he listens to the podcast. I think he he may listen to the podcast, but he's going to know the story, but I'm not going to mention him by name. But anyway, freshman year at the University of Maryland, you know, and you, 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 know, you, you, got, you start making a lot of friends in your dorm primarily, and... This particular guy from Boston became one of my best friends. And one of the real sort of bonding um, you know, elements of our relationship was we were huge sports fans and we were into gambling. You know, both of us were. And, you know, there are two things about this particular guy that I'll tell you. First of all, he was a great dude and um, lots of fun. Big, he was a big Lakers fan living in Boston. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> it was always funny, funny to me. But, um, you know, he's also, I can remember how disgusted he would be about all the Redskins success. You know, he just he's like thought it was ridiculous. But because he went to Maryland, he became a Maryland basketball fan and is still a huge Maryland basketball fan today. But um, two stories. One, he and I basically ended up on the same account together with our bookie at Maryland. So basically it was the Kevin and my buddy, and I'll give him a name right now that's not his name. I'll, I'll call him Jim, okay? It was the Kevin Jim account. And, um, you know, basically, you know, we would, you know, we, we were on the same account together. And then eventually we were sort of on the same account, but I was vouching for him because I knew the bookie before he did. So he was sort of on my account, and then he got a separate account based on my recommendation. Which, by the way, Tommy, and I'm sure you can understand that, that essentially means I'm responsible for him, you know, with the bookmaker. If somehow, oh, of if, if somehow he goes AWOL, 
I'm on the hook for whatever he he owes. The first story is this. This is one of those I will never, ever forget, nor will he. We are sophomores at Maryland, second, third year. might have been juniors. might have been my my second sophomore year at, at Maryland. And we were into to our book big time. And, you know, and this is, you know, sophomores. We both, I remember we both had jobs, but we're both, you know, in school. And we're probably down, a, you know, a combined $1,000, which, by the way, in the 1980s, as a junior or a sophomore in college, that's a shitload of money. And yeah. by the way, was money we didn't have. And so, you know, I think he's down like 600. I'm down like 400. And so we bet on it was in it was after the NCAA tournament because we got obviously absolutely shellacked in the NCAA tournament. So it's in April, early April. And we bet on the Bullets laying three and a half against the Mavericks on like a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. And we bet it all. And they took the bet. They're like, you guys good for this? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're good. We're fine. We'll settle on Monday. And so not only did we make that bet, we went to the game. We're like, we got to go to the game. So we get in the car and we drive out to the Capitol Center, which, you know, from College Park is only 15, 20 minutes. Right. And, and so, um, you know, basically I think we bought the cheapest tickets and walked in and we had we were in the, like, lower portion of the upper deck. And then by the second half, we moved down to, like, midcourt because there were a couple of empty seats. And the Bullets are, are, are winning most of the game by a comfortable margin. But Dallas, with Mark Aguirre, makes a run late. They take the lead, and then the Bullets go up two. And then Dallas misses a shot, and Jeff Malone gets the rebound and gets fouled with a second to go in the game. And he's going to the free throw line for two shots, and they're up two, and we're laying three and a half. So if he makes both of them, we win. If he misses either one of them, we're, we're we lose. And by the way, we would have been we wouldn't have been able to come up with the money. And who knows what would have happened? You know, the stories back then. You know, all these different bookmaking operations, especially at the East Coast schools, they all seem to tie back to either New York or Philadelphia. You know, some some yeah. sort of mob connection back to New York or Philadelphia. So they were always able to at least, you know, throw out the threat of, yeah, well, you know, it won't be me that you'll have to deal with. It'll be Sal, you know, in <laughs> in, uh, in, in, in Camden. Um, so anyway, Jeff Malone goes to the free throw line. And I'm telling you, I swear to God, this is where gambling is not healthy, boys and girls. It's not healthy. No matter what the result is, it takes – Certainly days, if not months or years off your life. Jeff Malone was a really good free throw shooter, if you remember. He was a really good shooter. He, yeah. ma- he makes the first, makes the second. We are, we're screaming at the top of our <laughs> lungs. We're hugging each other. The ball gets thrown inbounds to Mark Aguirre at half court, and he just throws up a shot at the horn and we're looking at this thing and it's tracking and it hits the front rim bounces high up into the air 
hits the back rim, and it falls off. <laughs> no good. <laughs> and, and we won the bet. <laughs> Tommy, I swear to God, the two of us sat down in our seats and didn't move for like 30 minutes. I mean, it took all the energy out of us. So that's that was the fun story. And if you think that's even fun, the bad story was, you know, six months later, it's football season, and we're down a bunch of money. And at this point, my buddy Jim goes AWOL, literally AWOL. And I swear to you, I think... Really? Yeah, I thought I've told you this story before. I... He was gone. He was done. He left school. He moved back to Boston. Um, I remember calling, you know, his house, and I knew his aunt who lived down in this area. I called her, and she said, he's just, he's he's not doing great, and... Um, but you know, thanks for your interest in the whole thing. And I was like, "Were you were you holding the bag?" Of course I was. Of course I was. And it was, you know, it was more money than I had. Um, but the the point is, you know, it's funny because I remember being concerned about him. You know, he was a he was a friend. We were really good friends, and you know, I was calling, and I remember calling and leaving a message, you know, with with somebody in his family saying, "Tell him not." to even worry about the money. You know, we're friends. We'll figure it out. He, sh- he needs to get back to school. Anyway, I, you know, I came up, I, I ended up basically being on the, on a payment plan with the book to pay him <laughs> off. And I didn't hear from him again until it was probably like 10 to 15 years later, probably 10 years later, I get a call this is, um, I'm not, was I married yet? I don't think I was married yet. So it, it was definitely maybe right around 10 years afterwards. And I get a call and it was him. It was Jim. And he's like, Kevin, you know, and he's got this, you know, he's got the big Boston accent. And I said, oh my God. And we ended up, you know, we ended up talking for 20 minutes or whatever. And, you know, he apologized and, you know, and I said, oh, you know, whatever. But you know what didn't happen, Tommy? <laughs> he didn't. He didn't say, "How much do I owe you? I'll write you a check." <laughs> he didn't. And what's That's really, funny. what's really interesting. And if he's listening to this, I mean, I don't give a shit anymore. I couldn't care less. I'm glad that he he's healthy because you know another another ten years plus went off. And before I heard from him again, and in the last year or two, like we text back and forth every once in a while, like during Maryland games or, you know, during a, you know, a a sporting event. Um, And I, you know, I think he's doing well and I think he's, I think he's married, he's got a family and the whole thing. But I guess the, the, the purpose of that story is they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of carnage. There are going to be a lot of people that have no idea that this is a real addiction, you know, and you have to pay when you lose. Like, you know, this isn't fun and games when you lose. You got to pay, and there's a lot of angst, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of physical and emotional stress that comes with gambling. I learned a long time ago, a long time ago, 
Do not wager more than what you can afford. And I've, I've, I'm a totally different person gambling-wise than I was you know, before I started to have kids in particular. Once I started yeah. to have kids, you know, it totally changed. I, was, I became responsible. But there will be a lot of people that will not, you know, it, it, it will become addicted. You know, they'll lose and they'll be like, that's all right. The next one's a winner and I can put together a three-team parlay on Monday Night Football and get it all back and then they'll lose that. And then, you know, that's the part. In, in by the way, th- that's the, the part that when I hear people that are that are completely oblivious and are clearly people who haven't bet personally or gotten caught up into that that uh, personally when they talk about legalization of sports betting being a great thing and an opportunity that I just you know I roll my eyes I'm like yeah opportunity for whom uh for the people taking your wagers yes it's an opportunity for them because well, Kevin, you know you're going to lose uh, listen uh politicians love gambling because you give them your money as opposed to taxes where they have to take your money from you. <laughs> right. So, so they're, they're in love ever since the first lottery that started, in, I think, in the 70s. They've been in love with this notion of, of you know, you handing over your money voluntarily. Yeah. Uh, it makes their lives a lot easier. That said, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm of the philosophy that, the majority of the people who get pleasure out of something like this and can handle it yes. should not be denied their access to it because of the small minority of people who can't handle it, whether it's marijuana, whether it's gambling, no matter what it is. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, this is for adults. You know, this is for adults without addictive personalities. You know, those with addictive personalities are at risk with something like this because it's much more accessible. It's a lot easier. You know, you don't have to go to Vegas. You don't have to go to Atlantic City. You don't have to go to Maryland Live. You don't have to get in your car and physically drive somewhere and go to an ATM machine and take cash out. You know, you can put it on a credit card, and then you can get another credit card, you know. And the the whole credit thing is really, you know, where you start to create problems. And to your point, this is a tax. I mean, it, the the house is not going to lose. It never no. does. You know, it, it never does. Um, and I'm looking at the week one point spreads here on Game Bet DC. And, yeah, Aaron's right. Like, uh, I mean – it's essentially minus one eighteen either side. I mean, you're you're going to pay, you're going to pay eleven dollars and eighty cents on every ten dollar bet, and that's going to be probably the average size bet. I'd like to actually see that data, you know, on legalized sports betting. I bet the average bet size is so much lower than they thought it would be, and it's because they're not going to attract people that are already betting, is my guess, and certainly they're not going to do it with these kinds of vigs. There's no chance that anybody's paying minus, like I'm seeing minus 135s on a straight bet, you know, here. That's ridiculous. That's unfair. Um, and here's the, the other thing about, uh, you know, moving forward with more legalized gambling is, uh, you know, once it's, it's, it's sort of like 
getting uh, extra money in your income. You were living perfectly fine on the income you were making. And then suddenly, let's say you get a, a, like a part-time job or, or a part-time gig, and you got extra money. And you're used to that extra money. But uh, the situation is that it's putting too much pressure on your life. But you can't stop because you're, you're living, your lifestyle has already adjusted for the extra money. My point is, once they take this step forward, there's no turning back. Like, like if, let's say if, 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 if there was an epidemic of, of gambling addiction, Ned. they're not going to repeal no. gambling. No. Because they're going to they're have spent that money and count on that money. That I, I say It's the same thing with uh, speed cameras. I mean, speed cameras, <laughs> right. for Photo the most force. part, didn't exist 20 years ago, and now they are a, a, a revenue must. Could you imagine D.C. government without... Oh, my without God, if they had to DC give that cameras. back, no chance. Yeah. So, so once, they do, once they do this, once the sports betting is legalized, that's it. There's no going back to the old way. There's no, I mean, this, this is the way it's going to be. You know, I was curious as you were talking about photo and force because I've been... Every time that comes up, I'm always like, what, did, what does D.C. generate a year? Um, listen to this story. The first story that pops up, I-295, you know, D.C.'s, you know, basically uh, major interstate around D.C., not the Beltway 495, 295. With, with a 50-mile-an-hour uh, speed limit in most places, sometimes 45. A specific speed camera. This can't be true. I don't. I, it just can't be true. But apparently, one speed camera alone in two and a half years generated twenty six million dollars <laughs> in fines. That is unbelievable. It really is. Imagine having to say, you know, let's say they get a bunch of uh, DC council members in there to say, we don't, we're we're doing away with speed cameras. The, the district would go bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, they don't take that money and stick it away for a rainy day. They're counting on that money to operate their their government. In and I'll bet you, I know the camera. I'll bet you it's the camera coming into two ninety five from Maryland. I mean, because yeah. you know, you, you, I mean, coming as soon as you cross that line, there's a camera right there, and you've been driving sixty, sixty five miles an hour, you know, and all of a sudden it's fifty. And you've already passed one camera. Um, I'm looking at the 2018 numbers, but this is just total citations, total traffic tickets. Traffic-related tickets in 2018 in D.C. generated $324 million in revenue. But I don't see where it's broken out by photo-enforced. Yeah, I mean, by the way, back to the gambling thing for just a moment. Like, I'm not sitting here telling you don't do it. There's nothing, there's not, it's so much fun during football season, during the NCAA tournament, you know, to have some action, you know, and it makes, it, 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 it enhances the conversation about sports and increases the interest for sports. You know, I think you and I have had this conversation before. I may have mentioned it yesterday on the podcast, but you know, I, I I laugh at sports asking for an integrity fee. You know, they're never going to get it, and and it's it's almost like it speaks to sort of the naivete of sports to even ask for it. 
um, the integrity of these sports have been kept by Vegas. Vegas has been the watchdog, you know, all along. They're the ones that have notified the leagues of suspicious activity. It's not been the other way around. And more importantly, gambling's increased the interest over the years exponentially of their games and of their uh, of their leagues. And it, with legalized sports betting, it'll do it even more. I mean, you'll have more eyeballs on games, you know, which will generate more in ad dollars from networks. And, you know, I, there's no ch- – they, they've got it backwards. They should be paying the states to legalize sports betting. It's helping them <laughs> yeah. so significantly. Um, anyway, uh, by the way, the week one line for the Redskins-Eagles, I don't think I had seen this yet. Actually, I think I have. Six and a half right now. Um, you can at Game Bet DC. Uh, you can bet the Redskins Eagles Week One September Thirteenth opener at FedEx Field. The Eagles are six and a half point favorites, minus one eighteen. Again, that means if you lose, you're paying one hundred and eighteen on a hundred dollar bet. Um, now, do do you think that uh, there's any? Not that there is a home field at FedEx Field. But generally, there's always the three-point plus for home field. But are they are they including that in these lines? Uh, because there's not going to be any fans, probably. Well, you're saying so that because that there aren't going to be fans across the board, yeah. not just because the yeah. Redskins no, fan base right. has been social distancing for the last few years no. anyway. <laughs> no, I mean okay. across the board. No one's no, expecting No, no, that's, that's, that's definitely not being factored into these lines right now. Okay, yeah. okay. So, um, so that's a legitimate. Uh, that, that's not probably legit. I mean, they're probably giving the Redskins a three-point home field advantage in that line. I don't know if they're giving the Redskins a three-point home field advantage in the opener. They may. It's funny. There was an article um, written on one of my favorite sites, Covers dot com, a month or so ago about the um, about home field advantage, home court advantage, home ice advantage, et cetera. But it was more about home field advantage specifically, I believe. And it just talked about, you know, it brought up the Redskins home crowd example. I mean, it was almost embarrassing to to to, to the Redskins. But, you know, how bookmakers have had to adjust the typical three-point home field advantage number. Um, for those wondering what that is, basically in the NFL and in college football, there is an average of three points built into the point spread for the in the home team's favor. Okay, so if the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington Redskins were considered to be even teams on a neutral field, move that game to Washington and the Redskins are a three-point favorite. Move that game to Philadelphia, the Eagles are a three-point favorite. But the Redskins' home field in this story essentially was part of the reason that a lot of handicappers and odds makers were looking at, you know, crowds like the crowd at FedEx Field in recent years differently and not assigning a three-point number to to the Redskins. Even though they've been assigning a three-point number, they feel like they have to adjust that moving forward because, let's be honest, the Redskins have not had a home field advantage in two years. You know, in the significant, in the majority of their home games over the last two seasons, it's either been a no advantage or a disadvantage for them to be at home. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's been a visiting team advantage at FedEx Field. I mean, I can't think of one home game last year 
where the visiting fans didn't outnumber the home fans. Not one. Yeah. I don't. I, don't, I, I can't even think back to, to the schedule. <clears throat> it is funny to, to look at these week one lines, though, um, and just to, to think, God, you know, and hope, please, I hope these games are played. I hope they're played in these cities with fans. Like the opening game is Chiefs-Texans Thursday night, September 10th. The Chiefs, by the way, are a 10.5-point favorite in that game. Remember, that's the playoff game where they were down 24 to nothing. And, yeah. they, and they came back in one going away. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it'll be, God, man, just looking at week one. I get it. I, I do get it. I do get excited thinking about the NFL season as we approach summer. You know, not that I'm wanting the summer to fly by, but um, it's, uh, I mean, right now we'd be in the midst of hockey, Stanley Cup finals, NBA conference finals. And we'd be two weeks away from all of it ending. And then you're just looking forward to football with, you know, regular season baseball as part of the rhythm of the summer. Um, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see whether or not these games get played. By the way, that leads me to this, which I'll get to. I want to talk about uh, Major League Baseball and the Max Scherzer comments about the deal um, right after I tell you about Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting goals for the day, exercising, meditation, but not everybody's got the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. All four of them help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day long. Hydrant's backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. No synthetic colors, no artificial sweeteners either. The formula's vegan. You can choose between three different three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan. All right, that's the promo code drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan for 25% off your first order. Drink Hydrant, Hydrant spelled H-Y-D-R-A-N-T dot com slash Sheehan. I actually think that this is really going to be a product uh, that I'm going to use. I've got it. It's on the way. I'm having it delivered to my house because Tommy, I swear to God, I get frequent headaches and migraine headaches. I'm convinced that it's very often caused by dehydration. That that number shocked me a little bit that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated. I wouldn't have thought it was that high. But I think um, you know there are some days where you're not properly hydrated. I would bet for, uh, most days for you, actually, that that's the case. Are you serious? <laughs> well, that's, that's not true. I'm very careful about it, but uh, what's amazing is sometimes you'll see people, 
and I just don't mean elderly people, you'll see somebody hospitalized for dehydration. Right. You know, and it, it's kind of stunning when you see that happen, and it happens more than I think most people realize. So, yeah, that, that's a big impact. I'm very diligent about hydrating. Are you? Barry how, how do you yeah, hydrate? Barry, remember Barry, what do you mean? I drink a lot of water. All right. I, well, I drink 40 ounces of water before I get out of the bathroom in the morning. Oh, my God. Well, that'll send you right back to the bathroom pretty quickly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I take a couple of medicines early in the morning, and I drink a full cup of water, uh, eight-ounce glass of water with each, with each medicine. Uh, so, uh, you know, I got 40 ounces in me before I hit the ground running. The first thing I drink in the morning is coffee. The second thing I drink is water. Well, coffee, uh, coffee. I, I understand that. And then I will follow it up. I don't drink up. any coffee. I don't drink any caffeine anymore. Period. Zippo. Did you used to be I'm a, a big caffeine um, consumer? Oh, a Coke. I mean, I woke up and I, I had it well, for years, Coke and then Diet Coke. It was the first thing I reached for. But I haven't had a soda in, in 17, 18 months. I don't drink soda anymore either. I mean, occasionally I'll have a soda. Like if we order pizza... Like, for whatever reason, it's hard to eat pizza without a soda. Um, I, I, that's, that's my thing, maybe. Um, but I've, I've pretty much cut sodas out. It'd be impossible for me right now to, um, to cut coffee out. I, 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 well, I never drank coffee. I mean, I have never, I've never started drinking it. I love I mean, coffee I, I, for starters, but secondly, I absolutely require that caffeine early morning jumpstart but i do follow it up with a lot of water during the day and i'm going to get yeah. this hydrant mix as well to help great. as well yeah exactly yeah. um all right so yesterday the major league baseball players association essentially said you know we're coming up with a counter offer to the owner's offer which was monday which essentially was different than what we read about what they wanted which was this revenue split they basically came back to the players and said look we're going to play 82 games and we are going to pay you basically um you know on a tiered on, on a tiered platform the highest paid players are going to have the highest paid uh cut highest percentage cut the lower paid players are going to take a lower percentage cut so we're not going to hurt the lower paid players and the higher paid players if you're making 20 million bucks you know you're going to get paid pro rata but with the percentage cut uh included um if you're making 20 million you're still going to make basically six million bucks this year on 82 games and the players balked at that what was interesting about that uh offer by the way just real quickly before we get to the players response is that that pretty much guaranteed the players the rest of the year and you know there is a chance that this thing could restart and then end you know versus the revenue split which was you're taking all the risk with us too that's not what the owners ended up proposing. Anyway, the players basically rejected that. Um, they want more games, and they want more money. <clears throat> Max Scherzer sent out a tweet yesterday, and I'm going to read it to you. He wrote, after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB any further 
on compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. Now, I think when he refers to all documentation, he's talking about maybe the first agreement and then maybe opening up their books. You know, as that's a, what he's talking as about, a privately held business. Like they're going to yes. do that. Um, well, what, it's been done. It's been, I mean, companies have opened up their books sure. to unions in negotiations. That's I think that's really what he what he's getting at. Open up your books to us, right? You know, they wouldn't stay private very long. But, I mean, that's not that absurd a notion. Uh, there have been, you know, companies and negotiations with unions that have opened up their books. Uh, yes, there are. I don't think Major League Baseball owners are going to completely open up their books. No, but, uh, but, no uh, they're but, not going to. But I, don't, but I don't, you know, I was listening to Steve Phillips over the weekend on Mad Dog. Do you like him or not? No, I don't like him. He's, he's a weasel. He, he's one step above Jim Bowden. Anyway, you know, that's, that's why that's why that's why they do what they do. That's why they're not working in baseball. Right. Anyway, his contention was that on basically a an individual team pro forma basis on a on a true you know revenue cost net profit you know pr, uh, pre tax number that if they were to pay the players and not allow fans into the games per the agreement they had with the players in early March, which was to pay the players pro rata for the rest of the year based on the number of games that they play. Um, By the way, expecting fans, because that's a significant revenue source in baseball where isn't necessarily in football, um, that for some teams in football it is. I might want to point out. Yeah, but but the the the, the significant majority, eighty percent plus of a team's revenue comes from their cut of the TV money. So, but and in baseball, it's a lot less than that. In baseball, thirty to forty percent of a team's revenue is it comes from gate. It comes from everything that goes into right. somebody attending a game. Anyway, um, Phillips was just saying. It's his belief that 26 of the 30 teams, if they were to not allow fans in but pay the players pro rata the rest of the year based on their salaries, they would lose big money, big money, and that it would actually incent most of those teams to not play a season. They'd be better off not playing a season because the losses could be potentially catastrophic. Well, again, consider the source. I mean, this is the guy who's always going to be on management's side because I'm sure in the back of Steve Phillips' mind, he's hoping somebody will hire him someday to work for a Major League Baseball team again. All right, whose side are you on in this? Well, I look it. I I think the players have a point. They had a deal, I mean, with with baseball. They they had reached a verbal agreement as to how they were going to do this. And all of a sudden, baseball says, well, we're not going to have any fans, so we can't go along with that. Right. Well, they knew they weren't going to have any fans before. Who was operating under the illusion that people were going to be in the ballpark? In early, in, 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 early, in early March? 
Uh, no, when they first started talking about this, it wasn't early March, was it? Yeah, th- this this deal was cut in 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 March, at some point early okay. to mid March, and apparently okay. there is, you know, according to you know various uh, stories that I've read, and I Barry on the, on the radio show this morning, there may be some language in there that essentially sa- says that we're going to negotiate a different deal in good faith if we can't, you know, if we don't have fans in in games in stadiums. Look, I think what's going to happen is uh, I think the players are going to give something. I think the players will give on the amount of games. You know, I think they put out 100 games that they want to play. Right. I think they'll concede back to maybe the 82-game schedule or much closer to that in return for going just the prorated uh, salary structure. Uh, Baseball... No baseball owner can afford not to have a season this year. For the long-term health of, the, of, the, of their franchise, they can't afford to do it. Especially if, especially if the NHL is playing, and the NBA is playing, and the NFL is playing. You can't have baseball on the sidelines. That's short-sighted to think, well, we're going to lose money this year, so we might as well not have a season. The damage that they would do to the game is... is would be far greater by by fighting a financial fight about this year as opposed to the only goal should be to get their product on the field. Now, you're right about the one thing about the players, and I'm convinced this is going to happen not just for baseball but for every single sport. They're not going to finish their season. None of them are. I just think that, that none, they're going to well, start. Well, th- don't say you're right about that. I didn't, I didn't say that I agreed with that. I said... That, no, no, I said that, that, that the it, players that, are be- benefited from the recent proposal because if the season did get shut down, they'd still get paid. Yes, yes. I mean, that's what I meant that you were right about. They, they, they would still be able to pocket that money. Uh, and I think all seasons are going to shut down at, at some point. So uh, I just think that uh, I think this will get resolved. I see the players' viewpoint uh, in, in terms of this. Uh, you're not going to see the low, you know, this idea of trying to divide the union between the lower paid players and the higher paid players is not going to work because the lower paid players are smart enough to know or are told by the union that their, their salary is benefited by the higher paid players. The more, the, the, the higher up the food chain that those guys make, it, it goes all the way down the line. So that 25th guy, that 25th roster guy, his salary gets elevated every year based on on the highest paid players in the league. So that's not going to work if that's what the owners are trying to do to divide the union. I think this will get resolved because it's in everyone's best interest, uh, no matter how many pennies or dollars they may lose to get baseball back on the field. You know, that actually leads to something that I didn't intend to talk about. But um, I agree with you in, in a normal situation. Obviously, the last one damaged baseball um, considerably. Uh, I think if they don't play, there's going to be a lot of resentment. And I think if they don't play because the players won't take, you know, 
in the fans' mind uh, uh, the same kind of pay cut that they're taking. You know, and by the way, they they still have jobs. I think the players are going to be the bad guys, regardless if this thing didn't move forward. But they always are. Not necessarily. Usually they. Oh are. yes, not they al- are. Not always. I, I don't. Having I think... covered, have covered a couple of labor stri- uh, union battles yeah. in baseball, the players are always the bad guys. Um, I'll defer to you on that. That's fine. I I um. I wonder just how damaging it would be. And just hear me out. Let's say they didn't come to an agreement and the season got completely canceled. And let's say the NHL started to play and they started to play games, but then they got shut down because too many you know players and teams were getting shut down by positive tests. And the same thing happened in the NBA and they didn't finish. And the same thing happened in the NFL. I don't think people would even remember the baseball thing. No. No, then, then it wouldn't. Then we're yeah. talking about a whole different world. Yeah. But if all those leagues manage to continue to play and manage to squeeze out some kind of a season, while, while, or some of them even, while baseball is, is dormant, that's the difference in, in the damage to baseball this year is the contrast to their competitors uh, for sponsorship for, for, uh, and for uh, fan support. I think that's right, but I think that what we're living through right now, there's people's priorities are so much different. You know, I was reading something the other day over the weekend, and I forget where I was reading it. It was just, it was online, and it popped up, and I and I read this story. I, I think it might have been from Forbes um, about how there is concern that the last two and a half to three months is something that people have gotten used to and is going to be a difficult habit to break. And there's huge risk in, at some point, the all-clear signal, if that's even a reality, and people getting back to life the way it was before. You know, there is, you know, I mean... It's a different lifestyle. I mean, I, I've I've never met so many of my neighbors. Like, I mean, only a snowstorm has brought a neighborhood together like this has with most neighborhoods. You know, people are used to being at home now. There are a lot of people that like it better. Teleworking is going to become significantly more prevalent. It was heading in that direction anyway. There will be significant acceleration towards that end. Because why? Because it's costly to send people, you know, traveling. It's costly to lease and rent space, you know, for, for offices. And, uh, you know, that that's really not what I was talking about specifically. But, you know, people, I think there's the risk in all of what's happened here, that people have found out that they don't miss sports as much as they thought they would. That may be, but uh, based on the uh, pictures from the boardwalk at Ocean City this weekend, and based on the beach photos that That came from Florida, and uh, no, it didn't anger me. I mean, they're not going to kill me, you know? It's, It's not going to affect me. There'll be enough bozos out there that will will willingly just just line up and 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 go to the games and not worry about the consequences. They'll 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 get, there'll be some damage, but uh, I mean, I generally you have far more faith in in, in 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 these bozos out there than I do. Yeah, I definitely I, I mean, do. I, I, you know, still I've seen the pictures I, I too. I, I I just I I 
I just think it's really hard. And I think everybody has, you know, perspective is what life's about. And everybody's got a different perspective on this thing. And people, you know, I understand these large gatherings, these immediate large gatherings at, you know, whatever that lake was in Missouri, Lake of the Ozarks or whatever, and different beaches. And, but, you know, again, most of these people are not, you know, the odds of them getting seriously ill are so remote, so remote based on the data we have now. And based on the average age of what appeared to be the people in these crowds. No, you're right. But the, but the people, well, again, you can't look inside those people and don't know what, how, what they're, I know. how susceptible they well, are. Well, the, the you people, know, the people know, with an underlying disease, no matter what age, if they go into a large gathering, they deserve what they get. You know, that, that well, they, again, they need, to, you know. How many diabetics do you think were in that crowd? I, I don't know. I have no idea. Probably a lot. I do know that the president didn't even know what insulin was the other day. Good God. Did you hear that one? Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. You know, well, I, 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 don't get me started about I mean, about but seriously, guy. how can you not know what insulin is? Like, <laughs> I, I, again, I, this doesn't have to be a political conversation, and it won't be. It's just, it's, it's funny. Like... You know, he's a grown man. He doesn't know what insulin is. He's a grown man. He does not know the difference between is testing positive or testing negative. Which one is the good one? He can't figure <laughs> that out. I, it, that's, it, a Michael, that's a Michael Scott movie. Yes, I, it was. What episode was that? That was when Kevin was waiting for his diagnosis. Oh, yeah, Paul. right. Yeah, exactly. And that and and that was when Mike was that Michael's birthday or yeah, that was Michael's yeah, birthday, and he wasn't Michael's getting enough. Birthday. He wasn't getting enough attention. I mean, yeah, Michael Scott <laughs> is the role model, really. <laughs> you think about it. think about that whole episode. I know that's him. Oh God, the you know what? I'm just gonna say it. The greatest sitcom character of all time is Michael Scott, Steve Carell. Who's better than him in well, s- for sitcoms? Archie Bunker? Ted, Back- Ted Baxter. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. That was a good one. That is a, a really good one. Good one. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, he was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, they did one of those, you know, 64 team all sit- sitcom or all um, – yeah, I think it was sitcom, and I, uh, Michael Scott was a one seed. I don't know if we ever saw that play out. I forget where it ended up. You know what? We should look at that real quickly. Hold on. Sitcom bracket. Uh... Oh, God, there's so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Barney Fife. You got, you got to consider Barney Fife and Andy Griffith. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you're right about that. I mean, Don Knotts was a brilliant actor. Now, he, yeah. now in in Ted in Ted Baxter's case and in Barney Fife's case, these were not the lead characters in in the show. They were supporting actors. That's true. You know, Michael Scott was the lead. Um, yeah, I want to I want to see how this thing played out because I remember we talked about it, or maybe it was Aaron. And I talked about it um, because during the early day, the early days of Corona of COVID nineteen, which <laughs> remember coincided with no March Madness, everybody right. was doing like a bracket. Um, yeah. And 
Sears, Cliff Clavin, the guy who played Cliff. Yeah, Clavin another on supporting Sears. actor. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you got to you have to have uh, Lucille Ball from I Love Lucy if you wanted a main actor uh, to and, compete with uh, and, with, and, with Michael Scott. And, and I'm not a big Ar- I Love Lucy. Fan. And Archie, I wasn't either. And Archie Bunker. Yes. Right, Archie Bunker would obviously yes, absolutely. be, you know, and Jerry yes, Seinfeld would. would be a one seat. Although that, you know, yeah, when but you think Kramer, 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 Kramer was, yeah, the, the the Kramer was the Michael Scott of of that group. Yeah. Um, whatever. I can't. There's so many brackets that popped up. If somebody wants to send me that that bracket, somebody had sent it to me originally. I'm just not going to sit here and look for it any longer. Um, all right. Uh, so. There was one other thing that I wanted to get to today with you, and that is I saw this last week, and we haven't had a chance to get to it, but Magic Johnson, about a week ago, week and a half ago, tweeted out a picture, and it must have been on the 30-year anniversary of this shot. That That's what it would have had to have been because this was the 1980 NBA Finals. The iconic Dr. J shot where he drives baseline behind one end of the backboard you know Dr. J with those long arms those huge hands and he's he's palming the ball one hand and he takes it up one side comes back under the other side with the reverse layup is Kareem slid over to help and that's why he couldn't dunk over Mark Landsberger who was one of the Lakers this was the NBA finals 1980 it's one of the greatest and more iconic shots in NBA history. Most of you know the shot. Most of you know what I'm talking about. 1980 he's NBA like, Finals. He, I, literally, it's one of those suspended in midair moments. Which Dr. J was the best at. Dr. J yes. hung in the air longer than anybody. You know, Dr. J had the big hands, the long arms, and the really good leaping ability, but he didn't have a 48-inch vertical. You know, he didn't have a David Thompson vertical. What made him so dynamic as a dunker and a playmaker were his long arms, big hands, and his ability to hang in the air longer than anybody else. And this shot is an iconic shot. And I saw that Magic Johnson had tweeted out, this is the greatest shot of all time. And it was a spectacular shot. Of course, that was also the series that Magic Johnson in game six in the spectrum with Kareem out went for 42 points and 15 rebounds and seven assists as a rookie moving from point guard to center which is still maybe one of the greatest, if not the all-time great performances in NBA history, certainly NBA Finals history. So anyway, I, I wanted to ask you, and I wrote down some as well, what for you is the greatest shot, greatest throw, greatest run, greatest hit, greatest sports feat that pops into your mind right away that you've ever seen? You know, I was thinking of football runs about this and there's so many from Walter Payton from Jim Brown it's usually a running back situation I mean with, you know football plays yeah uh, but uh, I'm gonna say football run is uh, I'm gonna go with Marshawn Lynch's run a couple years ago uh, against the Packers when they beat Green against, Bay. it was against the Saints in a playoff game against the Saints in a playoff <clears throat> game yeah where where that was the year that the Seahawks had a losing record and yep. still made the playoffs. And had the home field advantage. 
Yeah. 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 Marshawn Lynch's touchdown run, that has got to rank among the greatest I've ever seen. Incredible run, not to mention the fact that it came in the fourth quarter of a playoff game with his team trailing by four or five points. It was truly one of the most incredible runs uh, we've ever seen. And and uh, But the, the run that I immediately think of when you, when you said runs in the NFL is Bo Jackson's 90-yard touchdown run on Monday Night Football in the Kingdom against Seattle, where he ran right through the tunnel afterwards. Yes. And that that was the <clears> – that's a combination. And as, as we're starting to think about this, I'm thinking about Earl Campbell too because you and I both love Earl Campbell. And some of that Monday night run against the Dolphins, that iconic you know 75-yard touchdown run, was incredible for a man his size. But I don't think anybody that I've ever watched – play pro football has ever combined size strength and speed like Bo Jackson in one body he's the one and that run is an all-timer because he basically breaks a tackle and then Bosworth's on the field and they're you know corners and safeties trying to chase him and they have the angle on him and he still outruns him and then right runs right into the tunnel underneath the kingdom and you're like, that was Superman who just left the building. That that's that's the run for me. Although that Earl Campbell run too. Good God, Campbell. I know. What's that? I don't think that that was the same run. But there's an Earl Campbell run where he just buries his head. Isaiah, Isaiah Robertson. Robertson. Yep. Chest. Uh, yep. And just runs right over. Runs right over. Him. And Isaiah Robertson was a was a, a Pro Bowl linebacker. Pro Bowl linebacker. By the way, yeah. the, the man, Tommy, that caught Sonny's last pass, he intercepted it and really? ran, it, ran it back for a touchdown um, in, in a 1974 playoff game between the Redskins and the Rams in the Coliseum. I know exactly which, you know, that, that Campbell run, the one you're referring to, actually I think gets shown even more than the touchdown yeah. against Miami. The touchdown against Miami was, was a great game and an iconic Monday night football game because the Oilers were really good and the Dolphins were really good and it was played in the Astrodome and they had that love you blue thing going, you know, with Bum Phillips and Dan Pastorini and Earl Campbell. Um, Those were some teams that, but that was like the Bo Jackson run. And by the way, the Riggins run against the Cowboys in 79, where you just saw a big physical overpowering runner also outrun everybody. And that's all always incredibly dramatic when the big guy, you know, also has the track speed, which Bo Jackson had, which which uh, Rigo had, you know. I mean, that was the most underrated and the most deceptive thing about Rigo's game is how fast he was. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> this is this is this comes under interception. Uh but uh talk about a moment uh, and I don't think I've ever seen an interception run. And I know Ed Reed had some that were unbelievable. Uh, maybe I think including the longest in NFL history. But James Harrison's Super Bowl interception. Yeah. Where I, I, I think he ran like 99, 99 yards. yards. Yes. I mean, you, it was the end of the half, that, right? It was the last play of yeah, the half. That may be, I think, the greatest interception return I've ever seen. 
<clears throat> and I don't yeah. particularly James Harrison. You know, I'm not crazy about him as a human being, but as a player, I mean, just absolutely amazing, amazing player. I think that um, back. So we've identified runs. You just identified an interception return. Um, the the biggest, like the first hit that came to mind for me was actually the Jadavian Clowney hit against Michigan in the bowl game when he literally was in the backfield as the runner received the ball and the helmet goes flying off and he takes the ball away simultaneously. It's truly one of the greatest hits and plays in football history, You know, which, by the way, he immediately became a household name after that. But back to basketball for a moment, and you're going you're gonna to really crush me on this, but that's fine. Last year in the NBA playoffs, when the, the, the shot that Damian Lillard made against Oklahoma City to close out OKC in the first round, which was, you know, your, your example of they're just shooting it, which is fine, and this is true. There's no play run. St- uh, the score's tied. Damian Lillard's pounding the ball as the clock winds down. And then he doesn't make a move in the direction of the rim to take a shot. He's standing at the timeline, okay? You're you're basically 10 to 12 feet behind the three-point line, and he steps back from 40 feet and knocks down the shot. And I was watching it live, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There's nothing that defines bad shot, bad last shot more than that Lillard shot. If you look it up, if anybody forgets it, it wasn't like this all-time memorable thing. It just was for me. And he made it. And the place went nuts, and the series was over, and they completed, I don't know if it was a sweep or 4-1, something like that. But I just couldn't believe that the guy was going to pull up from just inside half court, basically, and shoot the final shot. That was one that came to mind for me. And then, obviously, we saw many of the Jordan in the last dance. We saw his final shot over Russell. We saw the shot over Elo when they beat the Cavaliers to win their first playoff series. Like, a lot of those are incredibly memorable and iconic. I'll give you one. Yeah. 1976 NBA Finals, Game 5. Phoenix Suns lost to Celtics. Gar Hurd with one second left. Yeah. Catches the inbounds pass and hits a 25-foot jumper right around the top of the key as the horn sounds to force a third overtime. I mean, and it was a shot that had an arc that seemed like it would last forever before it, 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 it came down. And he was the one. He was the more improbable shooter in a situation like that. That to me is one of the most memorable shots I've ever seen. I remember I was at a Bullets game. Uh, when they were at the Cap Center, it might have been 93, 94. I don't know what I was doing there. I was doing some kind of sidebar on somebody or something like that. And I'm sitting next to a guy, and uh, I didn't recognize him at first. So as the game's going on, we introduce ourselves, and he introduces himself as Gar Hurd. Yeah. He was there doing some scouting. And I almost jumped out of my seat. I said, you're the guy who made the shot. He'll, yeah. He shot. And the guy that eventually became the Wizards coach. So 
you know, right when you said 1976 NBA Finals, it's the Gar Hurd shot. It is, it is, for those of you listening, if you want to go watch and have, I don't know, give yourself 15, 20 minutes of just complete and utter amazement, go to YouTube, Google 1976 NBA Finals Game 5. It's on YouTube. <clears throat> Brent Musburger's calling the game with Rick Barry. All right, Tommy, Rick Barry was part of the broadcast crew in the Boston Garden that night. It is one of the wildest games in basketball history. And the way that game, that, that forced the third overtime. That was the end of the second overtime. And it was a wild scene to begin with that created the opportunity for Gar Hurd to make that last shot. Because what happened was, is that Paul Westfall, I'm pretty sure I have this right, Paul Westfall, who played for the Suns, that was the team Gar Hurd played for. Uh, he had been traded to Phoenix from the Celtics. Right, was a former Celtic. John, yeah. I think Havlicek had made a shot to give the Celtics the lead with like a second left in the game. And Paul Westfall called a timeout. Well, Phoenix didn't have any timeouts left. Back then, they would assess a technical foul to the team that called the timeout, but you got to keep the timeout and advance the ball. So it turned out to be the only possible way that they really had a chance because there was a second left. They gave the Celtics the free throw, the technical foul free throw, which was one free throw. They made the free throw to go up two, but Phoenix got to draw up the play and advance the ball from underneath their own basket to half court to throw in the last pass to Gar Hurd, who made the shot to force the third overtime. It's one of, and, and by the way, in that game, Tommy, you may remember this. Uh, Richie Powers was one of the referees in the game. He was a famous yes. NBA referee. No, he wasn't. He wasn't? Well, I'm he became famous after this. But, but Daryl Garrison and Earl Strong were the referees. Okay, tell me I'm, if I'm, I'm... looking at it. Oh, so it wasn't Richie Powers? No. I'm pretty sure... Daryl Garrison and Earl Strong. I'm pretty sure Richie Powers got punched by a fan in this game at the end of one of those regulation or overtime moments. I, I'm almost positive. I watched this thing within the last year. That's the name that pops up. I, I remember Daryl Garrettson. You're saying the other referee was who? Earl Strom. Maybe it was Earl Strom. Could have been Earl Strom that got punched. The Boston fans basically came out onto the floor, I think, after the Gar Hurd shot, thinking the game was over and stormed the floor. And and maybe it was Earl Strom. You might be right. I might have them mixed up, but I don't know why I thought of it was Richie Powers. But a fan punched the referee right in front of Musburger in the <laughs> face, in the head, and he went down. And meantime, the game isn't over because Gar Hurd actually made the shot. Yeah, um, I do remember Boston won the game in the third overtime. You know, yeah, one twenty-eight, one twenty-six, one twenty-eight, one twenty-six, and went on to win the series. I think in six games they won. They won but, game six in Phoenix. Yeah, they won. Yeah. They won the. Uh, but six, you're yeah. right. It's it's one. It's one of the great seventy-six and seventy-seven. 
or two of the back-to-back great NBA finals of all time? Yes. Hold on. 77 being the Portland versus the 76ers uh, NBA finals, the, the Bill Walton NBA finals. Here's the Wikipedia page in the 1976 NBA Finals. By the way, the the um, the Musburger, Barry, and Mendy Rudolph, who was a former referee, were the broadcasters for CBS. Um, you know, it's so funny. You know, like Wikipedia will have the 1976 NBA Finals, and they'll have a few things about the two teams, and then they break down each game. And Game 5 is basically like eight paragraphs, where every other game's one paragraph. But Game 5, here it is. Uh, Dick Van Arsdale, man, Dick Van Arsdale, weren't they? Didn't he have a brother, Tommy? Yeah, Tom Van Arsdale. Tom, Van, Tom and Dick Van Arsdale. Um, uh, back in the day where, where slow white guards were, were the norm, um, Dick Van Arsdale made a short jumper that, that made it 109-108, and then Havlicek, I may have had this wrong, whatever, there was the timeout by Westfall. Um, Westfall called the timeout, which allowed them to uh, advance the ball to midcourt. Yeah, no, Havlicek made the shot that gave him the lead. And then Westfall, sorry we're doing this in this way, um, Westfall called the the timeout. And it was Richie Powers. It was Richie Powers. Really? During the ensuing pandemonium, a fan attacked referee Richie Powers and other fans turned over one of the scorer's tables. After clearing the court, the fan who attacked Powers was arrested um, and the Celtics were forced back on the floor to put, oh, what happened was is they stormed the floor after Havlicek made the shot, but the game wasn't over, and then eventually it went to a third overtime. Yeah, in this game, the referees... Now, now Richie Powers may have been a, a, a third referee in case they needed one. Referees for Game 5 were Richie Powers and Don Murphy. Oh, really? That's what it says here in Wikipedia. Okay, so, okay, I guess you can't... Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see if they've got uh, they on, they only list um it's funny they only list the the referees for game 5 they don't even have them for the rest of the series cuz the game 5 write up is so significant anyway we'll end the conversation there but it trust trust me that is a good recommendation from your boy here it, you got some time to burn go to youtube and google 1976 nba finals game five and watch basically from the end of regulation on it's one of the wildest sporting events um of all time and yes that is that is an unbelievably memorable shot um the other things that i had were um i had uh oh i wrote down marshawn lynch too uh the um the Gale Sayers punt return in that mud game against the 49ers is pretty iconic, isn't it? You know which play oh, I'm talking yeah. when he when he set yeah, the record absolutely. for six touchdowns in one game. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, we got something out of that conversation, I guess. Real quickly before we roll, um, Scott Turner yesterday uh, held his – the Redskins offensive coordinator held his Zoom – conference call with reporters press conference thing with reporters um and he had a lot to say about Dwayne Haskins but I I wanted to just mention this one thing in particular and I'm not sitting here trying to really prop up Dwayne Haskins I don't think he needs it necessarily 
But he said something that, to me, sort of mirrors what Bill, Bill Callahan had said at the end of last year. He was talking about Dwayne Haskins and grasping the offense. And Scott Turner said, you know, we've had a lot of dialogue together. And he said, you know, uh, I'll give him a simple example and he'll say, um, and he'll answer it correctly. I'll give him a simple uh, question and he answers it correctly. And then he says, quote, when you can have that dialogue and and they can give you the correct answer and are repeating the things that you talked about in earlier sessions, that's when you know it's really starting to click. And I, I played that actually on the show this morning. And when I heard him say that, it's exactly what Bill Callahan said at the end of last year. When he said about Dwayne Haskins, he's not a mistake repeater. You teach him something, you tell him something, and he doesn't make the same mistake twice. And that's sort of what Scott Turner said. Now, they're not on the field. They're doing, you know, these, these meetings virtually, and he's learning an offense, you know, virtually. But that is, when you hear coaches say that, the translation is, he's really coachable. Like, I tell him something, or I point out the mistake that he made, and he doesn't make it again. That's, that's how a coach says, the guy's really coachable. He listens, he digests, he, it, it, it resonates, and he does it right the second time. I just think that that's well, a... Go ahead. He clearly is benefiting, obviously, in that process from all the time he's spending with Antonio Brown. I mean, a, a guy who's mentoring him to be able to be coachable, you know? So I think that is it's really helping him. That was sort of a reach by you to try to get to where you wanted to go through Antonio Brown being a coach and a mentor. Was... Oh, I don't think it was a reach. Yeah, I think it was, it was spot on. That was sort of a reach. I think... I think it was spot it's on. Re- talk it's a big about, reach, actually. Talk, talk about a guy <laughs> who, 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 you know, learns from other, others. Mm-hmm. There's a perfect example, Antonio Brown. What a mentor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, if you, if you say so. If you say so. The Antonio Brown video, Stefan Diggs is down there. Um, Geno Smith was a part of the workouts. Chad Ochocinco was part of the workouts down there. So... Uh, Antonio Brown's not playing for the Redskins, people. He's not playing for the Redskins. There's we no... can only hope. They, they need oh, him. I know. They you would love it. Desperately. You would love it. They need that guy. You know? And I'll bet you Dwayne is lobbying behind the scenes well, don't to forget, get him on that roster. Don't forget last year, you know, when A.B. put out one of the 17 Instagram apologies that he felt like he had to put out after he did something wrong, um, you know, uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins – responded to it a b to dc there you go i'm on board baby i w- i'll pay you a hundred dollars if antonio brown signs here for the 2020 season it just would be completely opposite of what ron rivera has been telling you one of his priorities is which is to improve and fix and reshape the culture Yes, it sure would, wouldn't it be? <laughs> it would be. And and again, <laughs> I think I mentioned this either yesterday or earlier in the show. I can't remember now. But he's going to get suspended. 
you know, he hasn't been suspended yet because he's not an employee of any team in the league. The first team that signs him, the first thing that's going to happen is the league's going to slap him with an eight-game suspension for conduct unbecoming, for per- <laughs> for for the personal conduct policy, which, by the way, includes harassment charges in there. Forget about just the, the craziness of everything from last year, which, by the way, Tommy, you know, I went through this list the other day on radio. I, I still I still get a kick out of going through everything that happened at training camp last year in uh, in Oakland. You know, when he flew in on the balloon for training camp. Yes. yes. When then he gets, he steps off the balloon, and maybe within three hours after that, he reveals the fact that he basically froze his feet off at a cryotherapy session that went wrong. You know, then, you know, that the new helmet design, he threatens to retire because he's not going to wear that helmet. He's going to wear the helmet he's always worn. And then he leaves training camp, walks out of training camp one day, and I'll never forget his his really, really super sharp agent, Drew Rosenhaus, saying, eh, that's not a big deal. Happens all the time. He basically <laughs> defended that. And then, remember, he posted the letter, the fine letter from the team. He threatened yeah. Mike Mayock, the general manager. My favorite, though, of, of all of the bizarre behavior last summer from Antonio Brown is when he put that video out of the secretly recorded conversations with Gruden. Remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah. And, Absolutely. And Chris Mortensen, I remember him reporting that John Gruden thought it was hysterically funny. <laughs> so funny that a day later, after he put those conversations out, he had the Instagram, the famous Instagram, where he said, release me. You know, because he was getting fined, and then the Raiders finally said enough is enough, and they cut him. I mean, some of the most bizarre behavior by one NFL player of all time was last summer, Antonio Brown in Oakland. Yeah, but you haven't heard anything from him since. He's I mean, he's, he's, he's been under control. Except you know, maybe, for cur- Dwayne, maybe Dwayne, Dwayne is a, a calming influence for him. Except for cursing out his wife and any of the authorities that got near his house in Florida during that one incident a few months back. Oh, that was, I think, in December or something. That was a year ago, last year. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, zero chance that the Redskins sign him. I do think there's an outside chance that one of those organizations that feel like they could handle him, the Patriots thought thought they could, they couldn't, you know, like a Seattle, who knows, might take a chance on him. And the reason you would is because the truth is he's great. He's really, really good. Dwayne may want him. Yeah. All Dwayne right. May say, may say to his buddy Dan, we could really use this guy. A uh, quick word about Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E, .co, not .com. Um, Hawthorne.co is basically a site for guys primarily who don't have any of the following things figured out. You know, you don't know if you're using the right deodorant or if it's a deodorant that matches well with your personal tastes. You don't even know if you're using the right bar soap or body wash or shampoo 
all of those different things you can figure out at hawthorne.co. It starts with this, a simple quiz where you don't have to mention anything specific or even buy anything. And they take you through a quiz that helps you identify the right products for you based on things like your skin type or your hair type or how many times you, you know, you shower a day and whether or not you have sensitive skin or very oily skin or normal skin. Do you use bar soap or body wash or both? Um, it even gets into questions about whether or not you, you know, you feel sweats okay, like it's a natural thing, um, or you know, if it to, to you, you're trying to absorb and minimize sweat or prevent sweat completely. It gets into the real details about the fragrances that might work for you. Um, it also will ask you some questions about, hey, what kind of cocktail do you like? Uh, is it beer, whiskey, booze, wine? Uh, do you smoke? They want to know about where, you know, whether or not you're a smoker and where you work and what kind of job you have and, you know, your night out, is it at a club or a bar or dinner or at a friend's house? And they even ask you a question in this quiz about your personality. You don't have to purchase anything, but what they're doing for you is they're setting up a list of products that fit you when it comes to deodorant and bar soap and body wash and shampoo, etc. Take this quiz. It takes no more than two minutes uh, to take. And I promise you that it'll be worth your while because I don't think most of you have a clue as to what kind of soap or what kind of deodorant you should be wearing. Most of you are wearing the deodorant that your wife or your girlfriend purchased for you years ago. Um, smelling good's important. Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is easy. Again, it, this could be a perfect Father's Day gift for you or for your own dad. Um, take the two-minute quiz at Hawthorne. It tells you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play, by the way. So it'll give you two recommendations. It's risk-free. All right, You get free shipping, free returns on anything you get. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co, use my promo code Kevin DC, K E V I N D C, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co. Use my promo code Kevin DC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Uh, all right, we're basically done for the day. Tonight's the night we're going to find out, I think, the NFL or today, um, they're voting on some of those rule changes. I'm telling you, I think this fourth and 15 thing is going to get passed. I really do. Um, that's my guess. Uh, if it does, I, I'm fine with it. I, I, I was reading something the other day um, from uh, John Mara, uh, you know, Mister Mister NFL, Mister Blue Blood, you know, traditionalist, and he basically said, you know, what are we? Are we arena football on this fourth and fifteen thing? So there's definitely going to be opposition to it. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I, I think there's a chance that thing could pass. We'll see. I could live with. I could live without it. I know you could. But I think it will pass. Right. All right. And John Mara, he's no Dan Snyder, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're right about that, and that's totally fair. At the same time, what an all-time dick move back in 2012. 
with the salary cap penalty and and pulling it on on the Redskins the day before free agency began. He knew it the whole time. All right, uh, I'm done. Do you have anything else? That's it, boss. All right, go drink some water. Hydrate. Uh, Hydrate. Harry Trotz would say, hydrate. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you uh, on Tuesday. All right. All right, we're done. I'll be back tomorrow.